Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is John, one of the pastors here at VRBC. So excited to be continuing this Odd Couples uh, series with you. And I'm just glad this is Micah and not me having to worry about this. Don't worry, just pull it back. It'll be fine. We have two big ones right here. It'll be fine. Uh, Our senior pastor, Larry Parsley, is still away uh, this morning. He's on a trip that our church gave him for his 20th anniversary. Uh, He and his wife, Jolita, are in Italy, kind of getting back to Larry's roots. And I saw Jolita posted a a picture this week of one of the museums they were at, and there was a sculpture, uh, and it was titled Lorenzo il Magnifico. And she has requested that we all call him Lorenzo il Magnifico when he gets back. So I'm here to tell you, Larry the Magnificent will be back next week. All you have today is John the Mediocre. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) I will do my best. Uh, Each year at VRBC, we make our way through nine or ten different uh, sermon series, and sometimes we plan a series based on a certain time of year, like Lent or Advent. Uh, Sometimes we we do a series on a a particular book of the Bible because we want to help the church keep a balanced diet of different parts of of Scripture. But sometimes, sometimes a series will grow directly out of a specific area where we sense the Spirit leading us as a church for a specific time. And the series that we're concluding today is one of those series. This past spring, uh, as our staff and church council spent time together praying and seeking the Lord's direction and trying to discern where he was leading us for this next ministry season, one of the things that we sensed the most clearly was that God wanted to unite us as a church around the gospel. There's so much division in our culture right now, right? So much division around us. And we've been praying that in the midst of it, that this church would be a visible representation of the miraculous unity that is found in Jesus Christ. And we've been praying that as we demonstrate that kind of unity, that our community around us would see it and would be drawn to the source of that unity, the Lord Jesus. And so this odd couple series that we've been going through is really part of our desire to just follow where God is leading us. We've been looking at different pairs of people throughout scripture that on the outside look very different, but somehow are able to find uh, this miraculous unity. They form these unlikely friendships. And this morning, in our passage from Revelation chapter 5, the last book of the Bible, We're going to see that God's ultimate plan is not just to have a few odd couples scattered here and there, but in fact, to have millions and millions of people from all different backgrounds, different on the outside, but united by the grace of Christ. The book of Revelation is a fascinating and complicated book. It's filled with all different kinds of rich imagery. It was written by the apostle John, and it really, it tells the story of a vision that he had that described the way that God is working behind the scenes, even when we can't see it, how he's working for our good behind the scenes and what God's plans are for the world. In this part of John's vision, he's describing the throne room in heaven. He sees God seated on the throne and there are 24 elders and four living creatures surrounding him. They're praising him day and night. And that's where our passage for this morning picks up at Revelation 5, beginning at verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Joanna and I went to our very first hockey game in October of 1995. Uh, We were living in Waco at the time, and we drove up here to the Metroplex to watch the Dallas Stars take on the Boston Bruins. Neither of us had seen a hockey game before. We didn't really know the rules, didn't know what icing was, didn't know what the blue line was for, but we had a great time uh, anyway. Uh, It wasn't a great game for the Stars, though. They were behind most of the game, and by the third period, they were down five to three. Their offense had ground to a halt. As the clock wound down, our our hopes for a comeback were just being dashed. And so with about a minute to go in the game, we decided, you know what, it's a hopeless situation. We got a long drive, so we just joined the throng of fans headed for the exits. Have you ever felt that way before? You had such high hopes for something in the beginning? Maybe it was a a new job. Maybe it was a, a new relationship. Maybe a new school or a new city and you thought, this is going to be the thing. This is it. It's going to be so great. And then as the clock started to wind down toward triple zeros, you found that the situation was hopeless. I don't mean to be melodramatic. It's not really my my style. But I found myself feeling a little bit that way about our culture recently. I mean, I trust in God. I believe that he's on the throne. I believe he has good plans for us. But sometimes, sometimes it just looks like things are heading in the wrong direction, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like the situation is hopeless. This is certainly true in a, in a general sense. I mean, there's so much pain in the world, right? But when I think about the topic of this series in particular, I also find this true. I find this especially true about our relationships. There's just so much division in our culture, so much polarization. From the Supreme Court all the way down to the local school board, it seems like every day brings a new battle in the culture wars, Right? And you know, it's not just at the political level, it's, it's true on the relational level, the personal level as well. There's so much brokenness in marriage relationships, brokenness in parent-child relationships, between siblings, between friends, between coworkers. Sometimes it feels almost impossible that people could even get along, much less experience this unity we've been talking about. Well, I don't know if it makes you feel any better or not, but we're not the first people to feel this way. Uh, the Christians that John was writing to in the first century felt like they were in a pretty hopeless situation too. They trusted in God. They believed he was on the throne. They believed he had a plan, but man, it sure didn't look like it was happening. Felt like the clock was winding down towards zero and there was no comeback on the horizon. 
they were being persecuted by the, the Romans just relentlessly. Countless numbers of their friends had been killed, murdered. It must have felt like the whole world was against them. And they were wondering, who's going to rescue us? Who's going to rescue us? And the first part of this chapter doesn't make things feel any better. In fact, it might make things feel worse. John sees God on the throne of heaven, and in his hand is a scroll, the text says. Later in Revelation, we find out that this scroll contains God's ultimate plans for the world. And these plans are to hold the persecutors accountable for their evil action. These plans are to rescue God's people. But unfortunately, the the scroll is sealed up tight. Verse 1 says it's sealed with seven seals. And in in scripture, the, the number seven represents completeness. And so what this means, the seven seals on the scroll means that it was completely secure. No one could open it. And then in verse 2, a mighty angel cries out in a loud voice, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? This kind of reminds me of the legend of the sword and the stone. Do you guys know this story? The kingdom of England is in trouble. The king has died and there's no rightful heir to the throne. And so there's a magician named Merlin, right? And he places this large stone in the courtyard of a church in London. And sticking out from the stone is the handle of a sword And there's a sign that says, whoever can pull this sword from the stone is the rightful king of England. And so, of course, men come from all over the kingland, the the kingdom of England, the kingland, the kingland, all over uh, England, and they try to pull the sword out of the stone, and they pull, and they pull, and they pull, but it won't budge even an inch, right? No one's worthy. No king is found. That's the picture I I, I get here. It's it's a hopeless situation. There's no hero in sight, right? No one is riding in on a white horse. The angel's calling out, is there anyone who's worthy to open the scroll? Is there anyone who can bring God's plan of justice about? Anyone who can rescue us? But sadly, even though his voice echoes from heaven to earth to the underworld, no one is found worthy to open the scroll. And in response, John says in verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. It's a hopeless situation, right? I mean, there seems to be a plan. It looks like it's, it's, it's in God's hand, but it feels like he's just sitting there not doing anything. We can't see inside the plan and tell what it says, but even if we could see inside, it doesn't really matter anyway because there's no one who could actually bring it about, no one who could execute it. Can you relate? When you look around and all you see is pain and division, all you see is countries trying to settle their differences by launching missiles at one another, all you see is people trying to settle their differences by launching hateful words at one another. The clock is winding down and friends, it looks like we're losing. It feels like a hopeless situation. Well, you may have guessed this, but I didn't didn't tell you the end of the hockey story. Did you know that was coming? Did Did I kind of forecast that? As we headed for the exits, there was one minute on the clock and the Stars were losing five to three. And uh, when we got in the car, we turned on the radio and we heard the announcers breathlessly announce the final score. Stars win 6-5. They had scored three goals in the last 50 seconds of the game to complete one of the greatest comebacks in NHL history. But we got back to Waco five minutes early. Let me tell you. (laughs) It was an unlikely victory, and I don't mean to cheapen the the passage by comparing it to hockey, but I do see a parallel here. 
just as it looks like all hope is lost, just as John is weeping because there's no one who can open the scroll, there's no hero in sight, one of the elders comes to him and says, John, don't weep. Don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. As I mentioned at the beginning, Revelation uses lots of symbolism, and there are two important symbols in, in this part of the passage. These symbols are from the Old Testament, and the, the, the idea is to tell John that it's Jesus, the Messiah, who is the one who's able to open the scroll. First one, the Lion uh, of Judah. That's a reference to the Israelite tribe of Judah. The Old Testament says that Israel's kings would come from the tribe of Judah. And the second is the root of David. That was a, a symbol for the Messiah because the Old Testament prophets had said the Messiah would come from the line of David. So just when things look hopeless, when it seems like no one is going to be able to open the scroll, the elder says, look, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the line of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Friends, Jesus has won the victory. He is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. And you might think, well, that doesn't seem unlikely, right? Jesus is the lion of Judah, but here's the unlikely part. Check out what happens when John tries to look at the lion the elder told him about. He says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. John's expecting to see a lion, right? Someone powerful enough to open up the scroll containing God's plan for history and to bring it about. But instead of a lion, he sees a lamb. And not just any lamb, but a lamb looking as if it had been sacrificed, as if it had been killed. And this is totally unexpected, right? I mean, when people pick animals to represent themselves, typically they pick predators, right? You ever notice that? Think about sports teams. We've got bears. We've got lions. We've got jaguars. Can you imagine a professional sports franchise calling themselves the lambs? <laughs> Today's day game, we've got the grizzlies taking on the lambs. It's not going to end well, is it? There's a reason that we pick predators to represent our sports teams. It's because we know, we know in the world it's survival of the fittest, right? Only the strong survive. Battles are won through strength and power. That's why in the legend of the sword, of the sword and the stone, everyone expects the strongest guys to be the ones who can pull the sword out of the stone, right? But do you remember who does? Remember who does? It's a young boy. His name is Arthur, later King Arthur. And this little boy, the most unlikely of candidates, reaches down and with no trouble at all, pulls the sword right out of the stone. But it's not because of the strength of his arms. It's because of the purity of his heart. When we pick animals to represent us, we pick predators like bears and wolves. But when God picks an animal to represent the Messiah, he doesn't choose a predator. He chooses prey. He doesn't pick a predator. He picks a lamb. All throughout scripture, you find this image of salvation coming through a lamb. Think about the book of Exodus. Remember when, when God is rescuing the Israelites from the clutches of Pharaoh and it's the plagues. It's the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb that is spread on the door that causes the angel of death to pass over the Israelites. And friends, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Think about the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, he's talking about the suffering servant. Talks about how he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And he says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Friends, Jesus is our suffering servant, the one through whose wounds we are healed. And in the New Testament, when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking near the Jordan River as he was baptizing people, do you remember what he cried out? He said, behold the what? 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. On the surface, this seems strange, right? It makes, it makes sense that the lion would triumph, right? But a lamb? Seems crazy. But friends, this is not an accident. Because the victory Jesus won, don't miss this, did not come through force. It came through self-sacrifice. Jesus' triumph came through self-sacrifice. In this upside-down world of the gospel, victory is not won through power. Victory is won through love. It's won by laying your life down. When Jesus was arrested in the garden, he didn't call 10,000 angels down to come and defeat his enemies, right? He didn't just use his divine power to snap his fingers and obliterate the soldiers, obliterate the religious leaders. And, and, and make no mistake, he absolutely could have. He had that power. But instead, he laid his power down and allowed the people that he created to nail him to a cross. And in the most unlikely of ways, in the most unexpected ways, through his death, through his sacrifice, Jesus won the victory. Jesus defeated the forces of evil and darkness. He defeated our enemy. He defeated even death itself, but not by force. He won the victory through love, through humility, and through self-sacrifice. Check out what the elders sing in verse 9. So interesting. They sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. Jesus is worthy to open the scrolls, not because he's powerful. And believe me, he is powerful. He is the most powerful being in the universe. The, the next verse goes on to talk about how the lamb had seven horns. Remember, seven is completeness. Horns represent power. So it's saying he is the, he is the completion of power. The, the lamb has seven eyes representing complete wisdom. Jesus is powerful. There's no question about that. But the reason they say he's worthy is not because of his power. It's because of his love. Jesus' victory, his triumph, came through sacrifice. It's hard to overstate just how countercultural this is, right? I mean, this is not the way things work in our world, right? In our world, we get what we want through physical force or intellectual force or verbal force. But Jesus says the way up is the way down. The battle won't be won through force. It'll be won through love. And friends, here's where the rubber meets the road for this series specifically. When we look at all the division around us, when we look at the culture wars that our, our culture is experiencing, when we look at the political strife, when we look at the anger around us, it's just so easy to think that the way to fix it is to adopt the world's methods. That's what Peter thought, right? When, when, when Jesus was arrested, remember his first instinct was pull out the sword, right? And start swinging. And what did Jesus say? He said, Peter, put your sword away. That's not how this is going to go down. It's just so easy for us to do the same thing, isn't it? Just to, to grab our sword and start swinging, to think that the way to fix the world's problems is to adopt the world's methods. It's so easy to think that the way to change things is to fight fire with fire, to, to argue people down, to shun those who are different from us, to be co so concerned with being right that we become unloving to be so concerned with getting our way that we step on anyone that's in our way. Friends, let me just say this as clearly as I know how. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of the gospel. We follow the Lamb 
who was slain, the lamb who laid aside his power, who laid aside his rights, the lamb who sacrificed himself. And if we as followers of Jesus want to have any hope, any hope of making a change in our culture, friends, it's not going to happen through the love of power. It's going to happen through the power of love. I'm not saying we have to agree with everyone. I'm not saying we have to compromise our values. Please know. We don't have to give in to the world's way of doing things. But what I am saying is if we're going to see a change, it won't be because we browbeat each other into submission. It will be because we submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. The victory will be won, not by power, but by sacrifice. All right, so let's, let's recap. We were in what looked like a hopeless situation. No one was worthy to open the scroll. And, and then in this unlikely uh, victory, our Lord Jesus triumphed through the power of love. And here's, here's where it ends up. This unlikely victory leads to a glorious future. A glorious future. Look at the rest of the song the elders and the creatures sing in verses 9 and 10. They sang a new song saying, You're worthy to open the scroll. Take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. What was the result of Jesus' sacrificial death? He ransomed us. Praise God, he redeemed us. He purchased us. And the the word that's translated purchased here uh, refers to someone paying a price to set a slave free. And that's just what Jesus did for us, friends. We were enslaved by our enemy. We were slaves to sin and death. But through his sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus set us free. He paid the price that liberated us from the bondage of sin. And Jesus didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. What did he save us for? Well, if I can say it this way, I think Jesus saved us to be a part of a kingdom of odd couples. A kingdom of odd couples. Did you see it? It says he didn't, he didn't just purchase people of one type. He purchased people of every tribe, language, people, and nation. And what is he turning this motley collection of people into? Not lots of little individual kingdoms. Did you see it in the passage? It said he's turning us into a kingdom. One kingdom. God is uniting us under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that We can serve our God so that we can reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. Friends, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, all those who call Christ Lord have a glorious future. We have a glorious future. These divisions that we're experiencing right now, praise God, are temporary. One day, it'll be a thing of the past. Why? Well, if I can say it this way, because we've been bought as a set. We've been bought as a set. A few weeks ago, our family was at Walmart down in Waco. We were uh, buying some stuff to help Grace move into her first apartment down there. And there's a whole long list of things you got to get, right? You got to get the comforter and the window treatments and all that stuff. But one of the things we had to buy was silverware. And uh, there are two different ways you can buy silverware at Walmart. Uh, There are these big bins where you can pick out however many forks you need and however many knives you need, how many spoons you need, etc. Or you can do what we did and you can buy this set that has like the little plastic uh, dividers, you know, and it has one of everything in there or four of everything in there. You pay one price and you get all sorts of different utensils. Here's, Here's the point, friends. We were not bought as individuals. 
We were bought as a set. We may be from different countries. We may be from different socioeconomic groups. We may be from different age groups. We may be from different political parties. We may be different in so many ways on the outside, but praise God, we are different together, friends. We are different together. Jesus has paid one price and bought the set. He's bought all of us, people from every tribe and language and people and nation, and he's brought us together into his kingdom. And I just want to encourage you today, friends, even though it feels like it sometimes, our situation is not hopeless. This particular chapter may feel dark, but we know how the book ends. We know how the story ends. It ends with all there is is odd couples. This beautiful tapestry of all the different people that Jesus has purchased with his blood. Loving one another, loving God, serving God, and reigning with him forever. So friends, don't leave the stadium. <laughs> Even if it feels like we're behind with one minute to go, don't leave the stadium because the game is not over. The lion has triumphed by being a lamb. We are headed for a glorious future. And check this out. We actually don't have to wait for the end of time to start seeing it. Did you know that? It won't be, the project will not be completed until Jesus returns. But at least in part, we can see it happening. We heard about it just a moment ago from our team that went to Kenya, right? We're seeing it right here at VRBC. The other day, Arthur sent a, a series of pictures to our staff group text. We'll put uh, some of them up here. Uh, what you see uh, on, on these pictures is at our ESL ministry. And the older adults that you see are residents of St. Joseph's. That's a, a retirement center that we do some ministry at here in town. And these residents of St. Joseph's, all from the same age group, almost all from the same cultural background, came to serve our ESL students who are primarily young immigrants from all over the world. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? It's different together. Uh, two weeks ago, this happened in our church uh, as well. Uh, this is a picture of our Spanish worship night. I don't know if you all know this, but we have a Spanish ministry here at VRBC. Uh, at 11, while we have English grow groups happening, we also have a Spanish grow group uh, happening. And even right now, while I'm speaking to you in English, we have a volunteer up here who's translating the sermon into Spanish. And there are people in the room listening on headsets in Spanish. It's actually really cool. We paid extra for the service that makes the jokes funny and the theology correct. Um, so... <laughs> If you want to check out one of those next week, feel free. <laughs> Another example, I heard a story the other day about one of our grow groups that has people from all across the political spectrum in it. And one of the leaders told me that, that the couple in the group that's farthest to the right politically and the, the couple in the group that's farthest to the left politically have become super close friends. Isn't that amazing? Where else does that happen, right? <laughs> Where else does that happen besides the church? How else can that happen except through the gospel? It doesn't happen through force, I can tell you that. It only happens through love. This kind of unity, friends, does not come easily. As we read in Monday's devotion from Ephesians 4, it takes effort. Remember that passage that says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It takes humility. 
It takes grace. It takes forgiveness. It's not easy. But friends, by God's grace, it's possible. It's possible. It truly can happen. And it's happening right here. And one day, friends, one day it's going to happen everywhere. One day, we are going to join in that song that's happening in heaven right now at this very moment. On October 16th at 11 in the morning. The song that continues day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Friends, one day we're going to join that chorus of angels as they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. One day we are going to join with all of creation singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. One day, friends, we are going to see with our very own eyes the words of Philippians 2 coming true because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to think that the situation is hopeless when we just see so much division around us. And if we're honest, when we see it so much inside of us as well. But we praise you that your son, Jesus, has won the victory. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to break the seals, to open the scroll, to bring to pass your good and loving plan for the world. Thank you, Father, for the glorious future that lays in front of us. God, we can't wait for that day when we cry out, worthy is the lamb who was slain, but we don't wanna wait. We wanna start today, not just with our lips, but with our lives. May we be found faithful by your grace to be united with others, not through force, not through power, but through love. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we uh, wrap up this uh, series on odd couples, I just want to invite you to respond to the Spirit. I don't know about you, but this has been a challenging and convicting series for me. God's been speaking to us. And I don't know where exactly, uh, where exactly it hits you. For some here, I'm confident there are some here who have not yet made the decision to give your life to Jesus. And you hear us talking about this unity and you say, how could that even happen? I want to invite you to come to Jesus and find out. If you've never made that decision to trust Christ with your life, let today be the day of salvation. For others of us, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you're, you're living in relational brokenness. Or maybe you've isolated uh, yourself from others. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is wanting to expand what you believe is possible through the power of grace. Or maybe you're just discouraged. <laughs> maybe you're just finding yourself getting a little bitter about the world and you're discouraged. Today, maybe you just need to hear the Spirit say, the game's not over. I'm still working. I'm still moving. 
however the Spirit's speaking to you, I want to invite you to respond. We're going to sing a song that's based on this passage, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, Revelation song. And like we do every week, uh, I'm going to say that the altar is open for people to come pray, and that's always the invitation. But I don't know, I, I just love to make a special invitation today, maybe to church leaders, deacons, church council, grow group leaders, or people even who are not leaders, and you just want to come pray that our church would be that visible representation of the unity of Christ. And I'd love it if we could just spend this time praying and lifting that prayer up to God together. So why don't we stand now as we respond, as we pray, as we commit ourselves to Christ.